0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcast. My name is Luke Thompson. I'm your host, as always. And we're talking basketball today, so Eric Rubobin is with us. Eric, how are you?
1: Oh, I am doing great. Just uh, trying to parse what happened against North Dakota the other night.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first, we wanted to talk about this weekend. Kansas State is going to play Wichita State. Both teams have a game still to play on Wednesday, but... You know, Sunday, I'm really kind of looking forward to this game, bringing back an over rivalry that I think was a lot of fun. We brought on Taylor Eldridge of Wichita Eagle. Taylor, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. You know, I grew up in the Wichita area in Winfield, Kansas, and reading the Wichita Eagle. You know, my parents are still subscribers, and the K-State Wichita State rivalry was always a lot of fun. And, and sometimes, even when, you know, when K-State wasn't very competitive with Kansas which was most of my childhood it was almost the most fun rivalry I think that Kansas State got to play and I thought it was really sad and I kind of went away from that I don't know I mean are you guys just feeling that excitement too you think there's excitement about this game
2: yeah I mean I think there's some excitement I mean maybe not as much this year just because K-State's you know a little down you know they're mm-hmm. not sniffing the top 25 I don't think either team right now <laughs> is so you know Wichita State obviously has aspirations of being in that top 25 but you know, uh, I think it's just going to take, you know, both of these teams winning at a high level or just having some kind of hype coming into the game before we see, you know, that true, you know, packed house, uh, whether it's in interest bank arena downtown Wichita or up in KC or, or in Bramlage or, or Coke Arena. So I think there's some excitement, but it's probably like, a, you know, a six or a seven on the buzz scale, I guess, for, for Wichita mm-hmm. State fans. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and Eric, I think, you know, even after this appointment in Kansas City, Probably had some fans that maybe saw the score yesterday and said, "Hey, K State won by 42." What would you say to those fans getting excited about that win over North Dakota?
1: Um, don't get too hyped about it, to be honest with you. You know, yeah, we we doubled them up, 84-42. Uh, it looks great in a box score. Watching the game, it's really hard to overstate just how bad North Dakota was, short of being incompetent it was obvious that we were clearly more athletic than they were. And that's how we won that game. We didn't out execute them by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we didn't really run much offense. We'd throw a pass or two and have something wide open. We did hit shots at a good clip. They were absolutely terrible shooting the ball and it wasn't necessarily our defense. I mean, we were, we had moments of playing good defense, but they're, uh, to be honest with you, if we played that game against a top 25 team, we we would have got warped. So the thing that I took away from it, to be very honest with you, we were better than North Dakota, how I would expect a top 10 team to be better than us. Like, it it was that kind of gap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like Taylor said, it should be kind of more even. Going into this game on Sunday, Wichita State's going to play Oklahoma State on Wednesday, so that should be an interesting test to kind of see where they are. But both of these teams sort of offensively challenged. Let's say that. So, how ugly is, is this one going to be, Taylor?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it could be. I mean, I, I've liked. Uh, I thought K State is. You know, they have some tough shot makers. You know, they've uh, they've shot a decent clip, like Eric said, and Wichita State is just so good at you know making games ugly and just uh making it into you know a rock fight kind of like if you guys caught the missouri game this last weekend you know obviously you don't need much help you know missouri is kind of doing that on their own but you know wichita state is just you know they're in the gaps they're uh you know fundamentally sound they're gonna make you take tough shots but you know some of the clips i was watching of k-state you know they have some you know the uh some really tough shot makers in the pick and roll that uh they've uh, hurt teams with and uh you know, it, I mean, it's probably going to be in the 60s, but, you know, Wichita State, they have potential on offense. Their problem so far this year has been turnovers. The offense has really kind of picked up in terms of shot making the last couple of games. But, you know, they're just throwing it all around the court and they've had a really bad go of it in, in transition. And, you know, they're leaving a ton of points on the board uh, because they can't capitalize in transition. I know I've, I've seen K-State, they've had their own issues there missing (laughs) wide-open shots. and Wichita State, their problem is just throwing it, uh, you know, just blowing three-on-one breaks. At least K-State's, you know, getting a shot up. But, uh, you know, both (laughs) these teams are, you know, among the worst in the country in transition offense. So, yeah, if either one of these teams can get it going there, that might be the difference. But I I just have that feeling that it is going to be, you know, one of those rock fight games, mid-60s, probably going to come down to those last four minutes.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I've seen a team miss as many wide open layups as it has this year.
1: We missed two dunks and not even in traffic. Like just we missed two dunks and three more just wide open layups. Like I would genuinely, I haven't been to a game this year. I would genuinely like to go to a a game this year just to be there early enough to watch warmups. Because I'm not convinced these guys (laughs) can make layups in a layup line. It's so bad. I mean just between a, between a couple games ago with Mike McGirl trying to go up and dunk that one and he just completely l- loses it, you know, yeah. out of bounds to Ishma Sood going up on Sunday and just trying to jack one and dude, God only knows what happened there and just yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Marquis Noel yeah. had that the wide open fast break too, where I thought maybe he was yeah. gonna yeah. dump it off to Mark yeah. Smith for a dunk and then he just blew it.
1: He went up for a layup at himself and just clank.
2: It's like yeah, it's so bizarre. God, I was watching, yeah, I was watching him and uh Illinois game, you know, Kofi Cockburn, you know, one of the, the top defenders, and he's making, you know, teardrop layups, yeah. uh, really tough <laughs> shots. And then, yeah, you, then you watch other clips and he's just, you know, missing wide, <laughs> wide open left-handed layups. It's like – Marquise Mar- Noel guy.
1: makes the hard stuff. He yeah. makes yeah. the hard yeah, that's,
2: stuff. That's a, the guy I was talking about, yeah, Noel, you know, Nigel <laughs> Pack, you know, both of those guys. You know, Nigel Pack is just, you know, shooting the lights out right now. Uh, he's actually better off the dribble, which is pretty rare in uh, in basketball. Right. and. I was watching, yeah, some of the clips on him, and yeah, he's just, he's making teams pay when they go under screens.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of shot makers, though, Wichita State's got Tyson Etienne, I was telling Eric, in his bio, he says his favorite player is Dame Lillard, and you can see it in the way he plays. I mean, it seems like that's a guy who has never seen a shot that he doesn't like, but it seems like his coach is okay with that, doesn't yeah,
2: I mean, he's uh, he kind of dabbled with the NBA this last summer. He had a really good sophomore year, super efficient, played mostly off ball. And then the change this year is that they're using him more on ball as kind of a creator. And, you know, the shot volume has gone way up, the efficiency has gone down. That's, a, you know, a problem early in the season, but that's something where they feel like, uh, you know, it's going to even out. I was talking to Tyson about that after their trip to Vegas, and he said he he likes, I mean, he feels good about the shots he's taking, uh, you know, whether they're good shots. You know, when I watch him, you know, I grade him out. Uh, I try to grade him out after every game, and, you know, he's taking a lot of tough shots. I mean, it's yeah. it's hard to, hard to, you know, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no way around it. He's taking a lot of off-balance shots, a lot of shots off the dribble, over-contest, What he will tell you, though, is that he trains for that and he practices that. And he was making those at a high clip this summer, you know, working out on his own. So, you know, he thinks it's going to even out. I I still think he probably needs to tighten that up a little bit. You know, he probably doesn't need to be taking, you know, 20 shots a game. And I think uh, WSU, what you saw in this last game against Missouri, they kind of took him off the ball a little bit more. And they're using him as that spot-up guy, you know, running him off screens even using him as a decoy to kind of get the, the rest of the offense going. And I think that's where he's going to be most effective this year is off the ball, even though he can, you know, he can, he's a really good in the pick and roll at dissecting the defense and making that rolling, you know, that short roll pass. But WSU just doesn't have the, you know, the pieces this year to, to take advantage of that. So I think where they're going to be most effective is, you know, him spotting up on threes, Taking a lot of catch and shoots and limiting those tough off the dribble, you know, contested pull up jumpers that that he's been taking a lot so far this year.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess that shot selection discussion is kind of like Paul George says it was a lucky shot, but Dame Lillard says no, I hit thirty five footers all the time, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he
2: actually made like a step back thirty two footer uh, the very first game <laughs> of the season it was very reminiscent of that Dame shot over yeah. Paul George. So he's he, he kind of uh, looked like his idol there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And then the other weird thing about his numbers this year, and maybe it's just small sample size, but he's been scoring a ton more in the second half than the first half. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I mean, I think last game was the first time he's made his first shot of the game. It just seems like he reverts back to those tough, like I was saying, those tough, contested mid-range pull-ups early in games. And maybe it's just that, you know, he just plays his way into a rhythm and he just finally gets it going in the second half. I don't know what it is, but, you know, he definitely, the shot making just, you know, just goes way, way up in the second half. And, I, I mean, he's obviously a really good closer. He proved that last year. Uh, he took over some games late for them last year. And and he's done that this year, too. He had a, a big second half against Arizona, almost, uh, you know, led a 16-point comeback there. Um, I mean, he took over down the stretch in the Missouri game. So, I mean, he has that killer instinct. And he's tough to guard. I mean, uh, he's a tough shot maker, too. Uh, even, you know, the, it's just hard to be efficient taking that many tough shots. I mean, it's okay to do, you know, at the end of shot clock and, you know, when needed. But, you know, if that's like the primary source of your offense, I mean, that's just really, really tough to have, uh, you know, that level of efficiency that he had last year. So, yeah, it's it's been tough. And I think he just kind of gets it going in the second half and kind of plays himself into a rhythm.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the kind of guy, Eric, that you hope Selton Miguel is back to help defend him, you know, whatever was bothering him on Sunday. You know, yeah, Kimball at the very
1: le- at the very least, have Selton Miguel out there, you know, maybe it's actually just throwing Marquise on him and letting Marquise cause a little havoc and mm-hmm. have the other four guys have his back. That's going to be a big key because... Marquise can get out of position pretty easily trying to go for steals, especially on the ball steals. Oftentimes gives up some pretty easy stuff uh, when he goes for those kind of things. But, you know, I think, honestly, I'm not worried about the one player. It's just like as long as the other four, as long as you take care of the other four, the one player is probably not going to beat you on any given night.
2: Yeah, and Etienne, he's he's kind of, he loves going up against those smaller guards, too. I mean, you know, he can shoot over them. So... That would be something to watch if they do end up throwing Noel. I mean, a lot of teams throw like their best wing defender on them, guys with size, you know, guys, like you said, uh, with Selton, a little bit more size and have a little bit more reach on him to affect the shots. So that's what most teams have done. And then it just, it's going to come down to, you know, how they guard him in the ball screens too. You know, at K-State is, you know, from what I was seeing, you know, they kind of just meet him at the level of the screen and then you know, if he can make that pass, kind of slip that pass, then WSU is going to have an advantage. And it's going to be kind of the game within a game there to see how a lot of teams have just blitzed him and try to force it out of his hands. And they've had success there, limiting his shots, then forcing turnovers too. And so that's the thing I'm always interested to see is how defenses are going to play Etienne in in those ball screens when he has the ball, whether they try to trap him or you know, if you play drop coverage, I mean, it's dangerous because he can just dribble around that screen and pull from just about anywhere. So that'll be something I'll be looking forward to uh, this weekend to see how K-State maybe mixes that up or see what they do with that game.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, one thing that – which I'll say second-leading scorer is kind of the opposite and Ricky Council and that he's very efficient but can kind of disappear sometimes, and his team's very selective in his shots. You know, do they want him taking more shots or being more aggressive?
2: Yeah, he's kind of had an interesting second season. You know, his shot making is really good, but he's had so much problems uh, turning the ball over. And it just seems like he's trying to, you know, think instead of just do. And last year he was just doing. I mean, he had his role. He's coming off the bench playing, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And he knew when he goes in, he's got to score. Now this year, I feel like he's trying to become, you know, trying to level up, uh, become more of a playmaker, And it's just, you know, not working right now. I mean, he's just thinking too much. Uh, He should be dominant in transition. This guy has crazy hops. uh, You know, he's 6'5", 6'6", and uh, can just jump out of the gym. So should be deadly in transition. But he's one of the guys that's turning the ball over the most. And I think it's just because he's thinking too much. So, yeah, I mean, he's been good from three. Uh, He's been kind of so-so, you know, driving to the basket. Again, it's just that decision-making. I mean, he's super young. Uh, You know, this is, uh, I guess, his second freshman season. So I think he's just still learning the ropes. And, uh, you know, he's trying to draw a lot of fouls that aren't being called right now. And he's just kind of learning what's going to get called and what's not. So, yeah, I mean, I think WSU sees him as kind of that microwave scorer off the bench. Uh, You know, you bring him in. You can, you know, he can uh, carry the offense. But, yeah, I mean, I think the more aggressive that rookie council is, the better it's going to be for Wichita State. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I want to talk a little bit about Wichita State's big, but first, Eric, just kind of want to hear your thoughts on K-State's post-defense. Obviously, iziagu is having some issues with foul trouble again. Davian Bradford will have a spectacular block every once in a while, but his consistency hasn't been there. And and maybe that's part of the the pneumonia and then just the injury issues inside too. have obviously been a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean you you pretty much spelled it out right there. You know, Ezeegu has a he's a passable defender. He's not a great defender. He's a little bit more but he's a passable defender in the post if he can not foul people. And it's not like it's, you know, swinging at block shots or anything like. He just does some really dumb stuff like just pushing his body into the offensive player on the block and that and like just getting cheap fouls and that sort of thing without really making it much more difficult on the offensive player. So he kind of puts himself in some positions. Who really knows what's going on with Bradford? I mean, yeah, he's got the injury part. He's got he's got had some nagging injuries that uh, he can probably still play through, but recovering from pneumonia and getting his win back and everything like that. Who really knows what his status is going to be on a game to game basis? And then you go to Logan Landers. that's a pretty that's a pretty <laughs> steep drop off. Um coming off of a couple of seven footers down to to Logan. I mean, Logan might turn into a good basketball player down the road. He is in over his head playing the four or the five spot at a power five division one level right now. and it and it shows, honestly, if we play a team with any sort of competence in the in the post. He just gets eaten alive. I mean, Coburn just made him look foolish at times against yeah. Illinois. But that's where we're at. I mean, Lingard's coming back from an injury. He came in late against North Dakota and had a couple of good minutes, made a really good outside shot. It was good to see there. And we're dealing with injuries past that point. So Curtis Kelly has some work uh, and, and the coaching staff <laughs> has some work cut out in front of them to get these guys to play tough, but not foul all the time i mean easy Aigu, i don't think i don't think he's been able to put 20 minutes together on the floor yet with maybe against north dakota he did um mm-hmm. uh, he's just he's in foul trouble so quickly
0: yeah and then ishma sued too i mean we always knew his defense was not going to be a strength and so it's been kind of disappointing mm-hmm. to see him missing a lot of shots too but you know uh, how bad is his defense <laughs>
1: You know, I think Ish Massoud's not going to be able to guard the post. He can guard a stretch yeah. four. He's not big enough to guard the post, especially, again, against uh, against a guy that's made to to play that inside four or that five spot. He's The guys that we had come in at the end of the day, uh, especially between Massoud and Noel, I mean, they're offensive players. We didn't get defensive prowess players when we picked those two guys up, so... A little bit different than what we're used to seeing there. Uh You just kind of hope that they score enough. And with Massoud, it's he's struggling a little bit right now. But, yeah, we well, just hope they score enough to overcome kind of the letdown in the defensive side.
0: And then, so, Taylor, you know, what does Wichita State offer with Kenny Poto, the 6'11 guy, and then Morris Tudaisi seems like the stronger of the two.
2: Yeah, Morris was uh, – he actually ended last year as, like, by far the second best player on the team uh, at 22 – career high in the NCAA tournament, lost to Drake, and uh, he was up against a much bigger guy that game and really showed, you know, even though he's undersized, I mean, he's only 6'8", but he's got, you know, he's got some natural strength, and he can bully guys that are a little bit bigger than him just because he has, like, that lower center of gravity, and he likes to take these huge drop steps, and when he's able to to take that drop step, and he buries his shoulder into him and kind of knocks him back, and he's pretty good at finishing those, but, you know, he's just been... So bad this year with turnovers. I mean, he, he's got the most on the team, you know, he, whether he's trying to dribble in the post or, you know, uh, as soon as he catches, a lot of teams like to send doubles, not because, you know, he's a, a super dangerous threat, but because they know he's, you know, just he struggles passing out of the post. And so he's just been uh, turning the ball over, I think, three and a half times per game already this year. So he's had struggles, but they kind of unlocked him in that Missouri game. They found a way to kind of clear out the floor, like I said earlier earlier with Etienne kind of using his shooting gravity to kind of distract defenses and then you know putting Etienne in the corner where his man is not going to leave him to help and then just running that pick and roll on the weak side or on that on that side where uh, you know normally that's the the guy that would help and because he's attached to Etienne they were able to get like three or four easy easy dunks for Udeze uh, against Missouri so And then, uh, yeah, Kenny Poto coming off the bench is kind of a nice compliment. I mean, he's been a a huge surprise for a lot of WSU fans, but the coaching staff knew this guy was legit. Uh, You know, he was a starter at Sunrise Christian Academy last year for you know top five team in the country, and he's been very, very good for a true freshman to be able to come in and play right away. Uh, He's got a little pick-and-pop to his game. You know, Mo Mo is more, you know, uh, back to the basket. He's going to try to bully you. Kenny can – Uh, set that screen and pop out to the perimeter and and hit three is, you know, the percentages aren't great so far, but uh, the coaches really think he's a a good shooter and uh, he kind of gives that WSU offense a new element. So yeah, they have a nice little one-two combo and that last game against Missouri, like I said, they kind of unlocked the pick and roll game. And both of those guys had really good games and kind of thrashed Missouri inside. I think they had like 10 baskets within, you know, three feet of the rim. And uh, that was uh, by far the season highest. So they think they have something to work. we'll see, like you said, big, big test against Oklahoma State on Wednesday. You know, they're one of the best mm-hmm. defenses in the country. So maybe we're talking a little bit different after that game. But WSU feels confident they have, you know, that one-two punch at center going right now.
0: Yeah. I don't know about you, Eric, but I'd say the way K-State has played the, the big, strong guy, Udesi is a little scarier than the pick-and-pop guy right now.
1: Uh, totally. Just simply because, you know, the, the defense, the K State defense swarms pretty well. That pick and pop guy, we're going to have someone that's getting out to get in his face. You get someone that can actually, you know, again, just, you know, bully people around on the block like Coburn did. And we have mm-hmm. zero answer for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's not a lot but of guys a, in the country that can do it not, like Coburn did. I was just, just going to say, not a <laughs> yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, Mo. Not a lot of yeah, guys. Yeah, an
2: uh, for... yeah, Mo Yeah, uh, Mo he can score on the block, but yeah. He's, you know, four or five inches shorter. So it's a little bit different. But, I mean, and the thing about him is, like, it's it's never pretty. I mean, it's always – it's never going to look pretty. It's always going to look like a borderline travel whenever he makes a move. But, I mean, he just keeps finding ways to, to you know, do that drop step and and score. So, I mean, he was – like I said, he was really good for them at the end of last year. And it kind of unlocked their offense because, you know, they had that inside – it could go inside out. And now this year they've been primarily – you know, an outside team. And, you know, the jump shots are going to come and go. And so far, they haven't really been there. So it's a dangerous game. And that's why, you know, I don't think I would never tell anyone that Wichita State's is probably going to blow out anybody just because, uh, <laughs> you know, they they just, uh, it just seems like they're attracted to those close games. Every single game they're going to play, they just see, even if they're up by 10 or 15, you know, it's just going to end up a close game down the stretch.
0: Yeah. And Eric, it's interesting, you know, we talked about turnovers a lot, but In that Illinois game, K-State only had four. I mean, that's the first time I can remember in a long time that that a K-State team had that few turnovers. Was that just an aberration or is that something that that they can do? You
1: know, that's a great question. You know, I think that Illinois didn't force a lot of turnovers. You know, the, there's defenses that just play really solid fundamental defense and make you work for things. And there's defense that really create a lot of havoc. I don't think Illinois was the latter. I think they, you know, with Coburn in the, in the paint and everything like that, I think they basically just set up shop and say, you know what, good luck getting in here. We're not going to force the issue too much, but we're going to make you pound your head against the wall for 40 minutes if you try to get something inside the three-point line. You know, looking at all of our games, uh, well, going back to your original question, is that an aberration? Well, it has been this year mm-hmm. you know i'm just going i'm just going through you know game by game stuff we've been averaging about 15 turnovers a game if you don't include that illinois game which is mm-hmm. higher than i would like you know our lowest outside of that illinois game was 12 against north dakota we had no business turning the ball <laughs> over 12 times against north dakota north dakota that's a type of game where you would, you would expect and how many was it against four,
0: that that 40 minutes of hell defense from arkansas
1: uh, 15, and that wasn't even the littlest. We turned over turned turn it over 16 against Omaha. <laughs> right. um, explain that one. Yeah, uh, 16 turnovers against uh, against Nebraska Omaha. But you know where I was going with that is you know talking about the turnovers and that sort of thing, and still losing that game, turning over the ball four times. It comes down to being able to shoot against a defense. Out of the five games we played, we played two teams that have a defense and three that didn't. I'll let you figure out which ones we won <laughs> and lost. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, it's interesting. from watching the Missouri game, it seems like if K-State can find a way to take care of the ball and, and get some fast break points, that's maybe the best way to beat this wishes to State defense. You don't really want to get into
1: a half-court game with these guys, right? I don't think we want to get into a half-court game with anybody. I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, even looking at, at a team like the North Dakota game, if we're going to start taking things away from that game, I, I think it's a fool's errand to do so. But if we're going to, We did a lot of our scoring either in fast break or like a secondary break or Mm -hmm. in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. Anytime this team gets to the back half of the shot clock, you know, 15 seconds, 10 seconds or lower, we're Mm -hmm. struggling because we just don't have an offense that manufactures shots like that. So as slow as we seem to like to play, if we can't play quickly on the offensive side, we're in trouble.
0: Mm -hmm. And is
2: Wichita State a little vulnerable defensively against fast Break, Taylor? Uh, I mean, they've been they, – they like to throw like a, kind of a three-quarters uh, press. And they've had some success with it. They've uh, sped people up and got them just to do kind of uh, sloppy turnovers and, and rush shots. And uh, Wichita State has done a really good job of turning people over. So that that's kind of the probably the concern for K-State because, you know, Wichita State is, like I said, they're fundamentally sound. You know, they're not going to get beat a lot on, you know, just, uh, you know, s- uh, stupid stuff. I mean, much like K-State, I feel like K-State is always, you know, well coached on the defensive end. You know, they're going to be in the gap, they're in the gaps. They're going to make it tough. Um, and Wichita State kind of mirrors them. And I think Wichita State is, you know, they're a, maybe a little vo- vulnerable in transition just because they throw that press on. So if, you know, K-State is able to you know, crack that pretty easily and get the, the ball moving, you know, you could, you can score easy baskets on them if you, if you beat that press. And we've seen that happen a few times this year, but yeah, in terms of the half court, Wichita State's defense has been very, very good. Really outside like UNLV, bizarrely enough was uh, kind of the, the team that scored against them the best in the half court. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause after halftime in the Arizona game, they really got after Arizona and really dominated the second half and just came up short in overtime. So, yeah, in the half court, I would not want to, you know, like Eric said, I mean, you don't want to get in a rock fight with Wichita State in the half court. So, yeah, I I would look for, you know, K-State to try to score as much on those fast breaks, off live ball turnovers, off long rebounds, stuff like that. But like we said earlier, you know, both of these teams have had some serious uh, troubles uh, scoring, scoring on fast breaks. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then another thing that will be interesting to watch, I think, is the, the three-point shooting. You know, Kansas State obviously struggled at the sprint center. I tend to give them maybe a benefit of the doubt. It's a big building, a big arena that I used to. it, And then they've been a lot better at Bramlage. But also, you know, like you said, Eric, facing much weaker defenses at Bramlage. You know, what do you make of this team's three-point shooting and, and what do you think we can expect going forward?
1: Uh, our team's three-point shooting is great if it's an open gym. That's what I. That's what I say, and, and that's what Bruce sits there and tells us. Bruce says, "Oh, this is a great three-pointing three three-point shooting team." And even people that saw practice were like, "Oh, this is a way improved three-point shooting team. We have so many people that can step out and hit it." Uh, can they hit it with someone's hand in their face? That's the problem that we've been having. And you know, going back to the three games that we won versus the two games that we lost, three-point percentages against Florida A and M, forty-one percent against Omaha, forty-seven percent. Against uh, North Dakota, forty-seven percent. Against Arkansas, fourteen. Against <laughs> Illinois, twenty-nine. Yeah, I mean, we have shooters that can make shots in an open gym. I don't think we have shooters th- that can consistently make shots when they're when they need to make it with someone in their face. So you know, and it goes back to that offensive part of if we can get an open shot in three or four passes, we're probably going to play pretty well. But if we can't find an open shot in three or four passes and we're having to take something that's guarded, we're in for a long night.
0: Meanwhile, I think Wichita State opponents are shooting about 25% from three. Is that something that they put a big emphasis on, closing out on shooters?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, not necessarily like closing out, but just always being in the gaps. And they've, they've been really emphasizing that. South Alabama actually gave them a lot of problems taking them off the dribble and uh getting to the rim for easy baskets. And ever since that game for Wichita State, they've really focused on helping the helper, you know, making it tougher for people to have, you know, those free drives to the lane. And so what they're doing is, you know, they're collapsing and then forcing the kick out and then just kind of living and dying. And, you know, three-point shooting percentage is just you know it's pretty random uh from from what i've read and just from experiences and it seems like you know obviously like yeah if you're a good shooting team you're going to trend more you know you're going to be uh have higher percentages but you know those teams in the middle of the pack i mean it's just going to depend game to game and you know i think both of these teams it's just they're two of those teams where it's just going to be game to game and you know they have the shooters to get hot i feel like uh you know Mm -hmm. listening to you guys talk about them it's it's the mirror of what we've been listening to, to Wichita State over the last three, four years is, you know, they have the shooters, but can they make them in the games? And the answer to that has not has been no. You know, over the last four three plus seasons now at Wichita State, you know, they've been a, an incredibly below average shooting team. It's actually impressive that they've been able to win as much as they have the last three seasons. It just goes back to them winning ugly. because They have not made a lot of shots. Uh, you saw the three-point percentage tick up last year, and they think this year's team is an even better shooting team, but yeah, it's just going to come down to, uh, you know, what, who's who makes those open shots, and, you know, Wichita State has Tyson Etienne, K-State has Nigel Pack, you know, both those guys can make tough off the dribble threes, and are they going to get help, you know, I think that's going to be a big, you know, factor in this game, is who else on both sides are going to step up and make you know, if either team can get close to that 10, three-point mark, I think that's going to be big.
1: Five games into the season, it's a great time to bust out hashtag on-pace guy. Nigel Pack is on <laughs> pace for the holy grail of a 50-40-90 shooting season, by the way.
0: Okay. That'd be, that'd be good. Yeah, now the other shooting side I want to throw out there, especially since this is something we can't say a whole lot in the Bruce Weber era, and if it's going to be a close game, is it Kansas State's the better free-throw shooting team this year. So they're, they're about Where 72%. This and we shall say it's yeah. not about sixty
1: So the the you know K State shooting, like you said, almost seventy five percent from the line this year, and it's not like a it's not a limited number of of, of attempts. I mean, they're shooting basically sixteen free throws a game. So yeah. sixteen free throws a game hitting a seventy five percent clip. I you know it's. I'm not going to say that I'm really comfortable with us having to go through, go to the line and win a game at the line at the end of the game, but it's at least encouraging right now that we're
2: not giving away a bunch of free points throughout the game. Yeah. It's been bizarre for Wichita state because they started the year. I think they were shooting above 75% the first three games. And then Arizona, they go 12 for 24 UNLV. They go tw- or they had, they had a good game UNLV, but then the Missouri game they missed, they were nine for 20. So You know, they've really had their struggles, and they they look at that Arizona game. They say, if we make our free throws at just a normal clip, you know, maybe they complete that comeback and win that game in regulation. And now they're the team that's, you know, has some top 25 buzz if, you know, Mm -hmm. if if they would have beat Arizona. But, yeah, free throws have been a huge problem, uh, especially that Missouri game. Uh, They are just, you know, throwing it all over the the gym in transition and then missing free throws. And that probably should have been, you know, a 15- to 20-point win at Missouri and they let him come all the way back and get it down to 6 at the end. So, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something that's going to make WSU fans feel nervous uh you know come Saturday if it if it comes down to free throws just because they've been so spotty so far.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. And do you have any thoughts on on what the crowd's going to be like at
2: interest? like how what the split'll be like? I don't know. I think, uh, you know, it'll definitely be, you know, a pro WSU crowd. It will be interesting to see how many K-State fans come out. I would guess, you know, somewhere between, you know, I don't know, like 75-25 or 60-40 would probably be the best case scenario. I I think there will be a lot of Wichita State fans there. But like I said, it just kind of goes back to, you know, I don't know how much excitement there is around, you know, K-State basketball. Like I told you guys before, I grew up, you know, watching K-State. I'm a I'm a K-State yeah. fan, so it's – I mean, I don't get the sense that there's, like, a ton of excitement to to watch this team play. But, you know, for a lot of Wichita fans who are K-State fans, you know, this is a cool game to go to, downtown arena. You know, tickets are a little less expensive, but they're still a little pricey. So that's why I don't think it's going to be a sellout or anything yeah. like that. I do think they're going to get, you know, probably around, like, 9000 10000 You know, WSU's kind of struggled so far – bringing in fans so you know they had that streak of 10,000 plus at Coca Arena for you know years and years and years and that came to an end this year so they've, they've been getting about 2,000 less than what they, they usually do so um, it's just hard to, to uh, you know bring fans out especially during you know the, the pandemic and then uh, you know obviously just all the options to watch games these days it's, it's hard to kind of you know attract fans to come out so I don't think it's going to be a great crowd or anything, uh, you know, truly special. But I, I think it'll be solid. I bet it's, you know, between that eight and ten thousand range.
1: Right. I was going to say it's probably going to be the best, the best attended game that either of these teams have seen yet this year, just by the nature of them, you know, having fans from both fan bases there so locally, because you know, both teams it looks like is averaging probably you know somewhere between five and six thousand fans a game, which is just absolutely anemic for uh, <laughs> yeah. for how many for the the size of the arenas and that sort of thing. Uh, you, you know, like you said, that 7,500 to 10,000 people is probably what to expect, and yeah, it'll be the biggest crowds that either of these teams have played for. Yeah,
2: it'll be a little bit bigger than the 1,500 they played at uh, at Missouri. Last, last <laughs> Jeez. I don't know, that yeah. wasn't the attendance, yeah, that was like the actual people in the stands. I would have guessed yeah, no more than 2,000. Thanks, man.
0: Well, yeah, you talked about excitement, and Eric and I could share a lot of thoughts about that excitement or lack thereof for Bruce Weber and you know I mean those reasons are valid but I feel like people have heard heard us talk about that a lot Uh, so let's talk about more of the the other coaching situation and you know Isaac Brown is there now but let's go back to Greg Marshall you know obviously left under some bad circumstances with the abuse situation and you know he was never had a reputation for being like a nice coach necessarily like Bruce Weber but you know, from your position, how loud were the rumblings before it all really came out and the dam broke on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, he had that reputation for being, you know, a hard and strict coach. So um, I feel like the the reaction around the country, you know, when all those allegations came out was like, huh. I mean, not that much of a stretch to imagine. But I mean, I guess it's important to note, like in the actual settlement, you know, Greg Marshall never admitted to any wrongdoing. It was just, uh, you know, a a split. He agreed to leave, but, you know, obviously you can make your own assumptions. If he agreed to step away, there was obviously, you know, a little dirt there on him. And so, yeah, I mean, it was always a challenge covering him just because, you know, he's so explosive and, uh, you know, if things didn't go his way or, you know, he was having a bad day or anything, I mean, you could be on the, the other end of it, but he was also, you know, an amazing quote and, you know, every answer was thoughtful. And that was the thing I appreciated about him was that no answer was ever the same, you know, it was like always interesting to, to kind of pick his brain. And obviously he's a, a tremendous basketball coach knows uh, the X's and O's and obviously won at a high level for a long, long time. So uh, yeah, that was uh, kind of a shook, you know, the Wichita community here. And I would still say that, you know, he's still viewed pretty favorably by the Wichita state fan base. Like if he showed up at Coke, I mean, obviously he wouldn't do that right now, but if he did, I mean, I think he would get more cheers than boos. And I think most of the, you know, scorn came from the outside, uh, you know, from the national media, from everyone else, you know, looking in. I mean, obviously, Greg Marshall probably doesn't have a very high approval rating. But I think with Wichita State fans, you know, that Final Four run, that 35-0 and season is just ingrained in their memories. It's hard to, you know, let something like that go. And, and so... Yeah, it was uh, kind of uh, almost split the the fan base a little bit. and It was pretty polarizing. And I think last year's success really helped keep things together. It was so important for them not to just fall off the deep end because they very well could have. I mean, they were under some very, very tough circumstances. They had a COVID scare early in the year. Then obviously Marshall resigns, you know, two weeks before the season. Things could have gone, you know, very, very, uh, you know, the other way. And uh, so Isaac Brown deserves a lot of credit for keeping things together and uh, not just keeping it together, but up winning a conference championship too. So pretty remarkable uh, turnaround there. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because Marshall, he still lives in Wichita. Uh, he hasn't moved away. Like I said, I mean, it's not like it's awkward for him to be out in public because uh, I think the Wichita community still, uh, you know, really appreciates him. And from that fan base, just from the sense that I get from interacting with fans they still like him, so yeah, it's that was kind of interesting too. A lot of people find that that part interesting that he hasn't moved away or anything. But yeah. I think uh, he might after uh, after this year. I bet he gets back into coaching. Would be my guess after this season.
0: Yeah, and maybe that helps explain too. It's kind of fascinating that Isaac Brown through it all kind of kept his reputation as a as a good all around guy and, and a player's coach. Kind of the opposite in Greg Marshall in, in some ways, and then obviously his success on the court that. Seemed to allow him to just transition into that full time role without much resistance, right? I mean, was, was there anybody that yeah, said, Oh, really? this guy was on
2: Marshall's staff, or yeah? I mean, I uh, I, I did a kind of a big deep dive on that during the end of last season, just like what the odds were, you know, when he took over. I mean, those guys yeah. had staff, I was talking to them, and they're like, Yeah, we were you know, obviously committed to uh, you know, this season, but like in the back of their heads, they're thinking, Okay. I'm going to have to move. Like, there's no chance we get this job. You know, they're already kind of thinking, you know, down the road about, you know, okay, what's, where's my next job going to come from? And, you know, so families here and it's like, you know, it's a big deal. And, you know, they, they felt like uh, maybe not a lame duck coaching staff, but they, they didn't feel like, you know, they were, it wasn't like a for sure thing, you know, when Isaac Brown took over, it's like, okay, he's the next man for the job. And, you know, there, there's still, you know, a small fraction of the, the WSU fan base that has criticized the athletic director for not, you know, conducting like a a, a national search after last season to see like what kind of candidates Wichita State could have drawn. And, and, but, you know, IB just made it really, really tough to, you know, not give him the job when he took such, you know, under such rocky circumstances and guided them to a a conference championship. And, you know, he basically coached his way into that job. And that's why uh, he has so much love for these players because they, they, I mean, he was a longtime assistant, you know, 18 years as a D1 assistant. I think he's like mid-50s, had waited a really, really long time to get this chance. And for him to finally get it and to keep it, that was a big deal for him.
0: Yeah, and maybe that kind of ties into, you got a couple of their starters, Craig Porter and Morris Udaisy, both entered the transfer portal and then decided to come back. So kind of what's, that's not, not something you see very often. What's the story there?
2: yeah I mean it's just you know they they wanted to kind of explore their options and uh, Mo was in there for a while he's probably in there for a month Craig was only in there for like a day or two um and then decided to come back so yeah I mean there's just so much uncertainty after the end of last season just because then they had just gone through so much drama uh you know and it was you know exhausting for for the players and the coaches and uh yeah so I think the players you know yeah I mean it it is kind of unusual to have two go in and then come back but uh you know, these guys. I think they just explored their options. At the end of the day, they they realized you know their best path forward was at Wichita State. You know that coaching staff knew them. Uh, you know if you go somewhere else, you're gonna have to learn a whole new system. You're gonna have to prove yourself with the new coaching staff. Uh, you're gonna have to fit in with a new group of guys. There's just a lot of unknowns there. You know they knew what they were getting back into if they came back to Wichita State. And now you look at it. You know Craig Porter's coming off probably his best game of the season. And then Moe Udeze also coming off the best game of his season. So those guys are both in the starting lineup and, you know, they're playing big roles and I don't, I don't think they regret, you know, coming back.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing with some uncertainty going forward is obviously the Big 12 is poaching three American teams. Cincinnati and Houston, historically two of the best basketball programs. You know, you still got U and Memphis, so there's some good teams in there, but how does Wichita State feel about how they're positioned for the future?
2: Yeah, Memphis. For now, I I still think that they might be headed to the Big Twelve. Not obviously, not right now, but like in the next round of realignment, I wouldn't be surprised if Memphis uh, gets that invite. So yeah, I mean, it's a shaky, shaky conference right now. A lot of fans want to see them, you know, actively, uh, you know, explore other options, whether that's you know the Mountain West or the Atlantic Ten. You know, Big East is kind of the you know the dream, but I think that's kind of a pipe dream. Big East didn't really have. Have much interest in Wichita State. The last time they were looking for a conference, but maybe that changes, you know, down the road. If uh, I think the Big East is going to make a run at, at bringing in a big basketball uh, name, and you know, if they, you know, strike out, you know, Wichita State's not too far down the list. I mean, I, they don't obviously have like the, the shine like they used to with Marshall and you know Fred VanVleet, Ron Baker, but they're still you know a very good program. Uh, it would add to a conference, not take away. a uh, Great traveling fan base. So. Um, I think there, there's some positives there. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, which shall will say? It, 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 the future is uncertain. You know, when they took that jump five years ago to go to the American, it was a slam dunk, you know, no brainer. But now, you know, now they're on the downside of that realignment. You know, they, they got to experience the thrill of it last time. And now they're realizing, you know, you know, how not fun it can be. You know, when teams leave and, you know, the conference, you know, they added a bunch of uh, kind of fillers at the bottom, really. And that basketball conference took a huge hit. You know, it's not going to be the unanimous, you know, best conference outside the the major conferences anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the West Coast, the A 10, uh, West Coast is real good
0: this year. The top teams in that league are just killing it.
2: Yeah. So I think they've, uh, American uh, will definitely take a huge hit when Houston and Cincinnati leave. So, yeah, I mean, I would expect, uh, I would not be shocked if Wichita State changes conference in the next 10 years. But, you know, who knows? I mean, those things change. So often it's just not even worth, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, getting getting worried about it, uh, you know, at a day-to-day basis just because, you know, th- things can change so quick.
0: Yeah, yeah. So just a couple of things coming back to Sunday's game. First of all, Eric, you know, the other interesting names on K-State's non-conference schedule, I think, are Nebraska, Ole Miss, and Marquette. But right now, Wichita State is a higher Kim Pong ranking than all those teams. You know, is this the toughest game left on the non-conference schedule? Is it the biggest chance for a marquee win?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I still think Marquette's probably the team out there, especially with what they've done so far this year as far as who who they've knocked off. You know, Nebraska's, they're a power five team, but uh, to a certain extent, they're probably a little bit like us where they're just trying to figure out where they actually sit in in the grand scheme of things and hoping it's not in last place. But it's not to say that, you know, the rest of our schedule is pretty dismal outside of a couple of names. Uh, So Wichita State is a great example or a great chance to to get a W against someone that uh, has a recognizable name, you know, regardless of where they're, in the, they're at in the Ken Palm rankings.
0: And you mentioned Marquette's wins. They beat West Virginia, and they also beat Ole Miss. So that's a couple of ones for them. But, yeah, so Sunday, Taylor, you want to give us a prediction What do you think is going to happen?
2: Yeah, man, I like, after watching the little film on K-State, I, I think it will be a rock fight. I think it will be in the 60s, but I think Wichita State, I like what they showed me uh, at Missouri. I think they're probably – I would not pick them uh, Wednesday at Oklahoma State. I think they'll be coming off a loss. They'll be hungry. You know, this is a game they can't lose. They think they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, so you cannot lose that semi-home game to K-State, and especially, you know, just the the rivalry too. You know, you don't want to start off this rivalry on a loss, uh, you know, in Wichita. So I think they're going to be motivated. I would pick them by, you know – six or seven uh 68 62 something like that
0: okay what do you think eric
1: uh well if it was if we were if we were heading south to play tulsa i'd say it's gonna be like 58 (laughs) to 42 uh tulsa (laughs) I am so, <laughs> I I'm so glad we don't have to yeah, play have, them anymore. Yeah, me too. You know, I think it depends on what team shows up. Uh, if we've got a team that can go out and actually make some shots, even if they're going to be guarded and that sort of thing, I think we're probably going to come away with a uh, with that kind of the flip side of that. I'd say 65-60, 67-62, 60, something like that is probably a good score for us to win if we can make a few shots. I think if we can get to 70, we'll win the basketball game. But I, I don't have a lot of optimism that we're going to get to 70. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up. Taylor, I appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Yeah.
0: I know people can follow you on Twitter at Taylor Eldridge or read your stuff at Kansas.com. Um, anything else you want
2: to plug? No, that would be it. Yeah, I'll have uh, some game uh, preview stuff uh, on Kansas.com, and then I'll put, I usually post some clips on Twitter uh, the days leading up to the game. So, yeah, follow me on Twitter.
0: Okay, sounds
2: good. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. So much, guys. Yep. Thank you so, Thanks. Yeah. Thanks.